Here is Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. I've noticed that when people really understand grace, they really begin to grow and flourish. It doesn't become a list problem or a works problem or beating themselves up all the time. And the answer to everything is do more, do more, do more. The answer is actually do nothing. Just do nothing and stand in the grace of God. Just stop. Just stop all the activity. Stop all the fevers. Yeah, but Ed, it's, you don't understand. It's just I'm so... Okay, let's just stop and get back to basics. This is amazing grace. Today on Abounding Grace, we'll put the finishing touches on our series in 1 Peter. And you might recall, Peter started off by talking about grace. And as you'll see in a moment, he ends on the note of grace as well. We'll be learning how to stand in the grace of God. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor in 1 Peter chapter 5 in part 2 of Suffering and Standing in Grace. You think of how many times we pray for the strength of God. How often do you pray for personal weakness? Lord, make me weak so that I can experience your strength. <laughs> no way. But that's a great prayer to pray. You may find yourself today even wrestling with weakness, measuring up your life and finding areas in need of improvement. God would say to you, be strong in the grace. Be strong in my grace. Just expect the Lord to bless you. Not, not because of you, but in spite of you, the grace of God. Understanding it. Receiving it. I love he doesn't end his letter by saying, okay, now to the God of all judgment. Oh, okay. Although God does bring judgment. He doesn't end the letter saying, oh, now to the God of all condemnation. Because when you're in a place of weakness and demanding what you deserve, man, condemnation's knocking at the door. Saying, who do you think you are? Not the gentle voice of a gracious God, but the wicked voice of an evil devil or even your own flesh putting yourself down because of the weakness. So here you are learning to understand it, to receive it, to extend it, because grace is the foundation to a strong, healthy, growing life in Jesus. So how does the letter begin? Grace to you. How does it end? To the grace of God. He is the God of all grace. And because of that, I want you to know that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. You can't stand in anything else. You can't, you know, so you are a man or a woman of the word. That's great, but you can't stand in that. Or you have been walking with the Lord for 30 years. That's wonderful, but you can't stand in that. Well, I have these accomplishments and I have these degrees and I've worked this hard and, and I've got these, okay, that's great, but you can't stand in that. You need to learn to stand in the grace of God. And Peter learned this. Peter learned this. He learned firsthand of God's gracious grace. Peter and Paul together are teaching us the same thing. No longer leaning on his flesh, no longer leaning on his own strength, he casts his whole life upon the Lord, depending upon the Spirit. Peter knew in his own life it wasn't partial grace. This is the man who in, his deepest, in the deepest hour of Jesus denied him. This is the man that said, I will never deny you. Even if all of these deny you, I'll never deny you. 
who stood so confidently and yet fell so hard and so difficult, perhaps even to the point in this time in his life where he's like, I don't, I don't have any hope. Uh, I don't have any future. I think I'll just go back to where I started. It was a great ride, but I'll just go back to where I started. But Jesus met him, and we learned that God is the God of the second chance. Peter's not writing like, oh, I have so much to offer you. I'm the guy that, I mean, how many times do you think Peter would think, as he was writing, but I'm the guy that denied him. Who am I to write this? I'm the guy that denied him. I'm the guy that ran out of him. I'm the guy that stood strong, and he had these memories constantly plaguing him, remembering, no, but I'm here by how? The grace of God. How else could I be here? I'm not remembered for my failure, although it did get recorded in the Bible. And it did get, it is there. But so is John 21. Feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. I'm going to restore you back into even a greater portion of ministry, a greater. So he knows it's not just partial. He knows it was all grace. And I think that's one way that we learn it over time. We start out really strong as new believers, and then over time, trial after trial after trial after difficulty, and not even necessarily big, huge ones, although there are some, and not, not necessarily overwhelming ones, although there are some. It's just the daily grind of battling the flesh, the daily grind of fighting temptation, the daily grind of looking at this world and where it's headed and what's happening and just being so burdened and brokenhearted. We learn day by day, suffering by suffering, warfare upon warfare, that we too must stand in the grace of God. Or another way of looking at it is we too must abide in Christ, receiving and relying upon His resources. I mean, I think of it, you guys that work at a company. When you work at a company, you rely upon their resources. You are fully trusting in what they provide to you. You are expecting them to give you the tools that you need to accomplish the work that they require. And you are in reliance upon, and sometimes that's lacking. Sometimes you, you may work for a big corporation. I know how many times I had to say, oh, I'm sorry, there's not room in the budget for that. Oh, I'm sorry, that's not room in the budget for that. Just make do for that. Just make do. And you just, the folks that worked with me, they'd be so frustrated. They would even go out and go buy things so that they could have the tools. But in reality, they were depending upon the resources that, that unlike some company that's not giving you everything that you need, when you abide in Christ, you get everything you need to live a life that pleases Jesus. So you stand in his grace. You have to. Any other place will be a place of weakness. God, God wants to bless your life and he wants to use you. And he is ready to equip you for every good work. He is working in your life to equip you even though you are or you have messed up. And I love this. He's not the God of all wrath, not the God of all judgment. He's not the God of all works and self-effort. You know, you get to the place, you receive a letter, man, you're so going through it. You got these encouragements that we've studied now verse by verse. And then you get to the end, you go, okay, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? What do I need to do? Here's what you need to do. You need to do nothing. Amen. You just need to stand still. Just stand still and wait for the Lord to work. Yeah, but I don't like standing still. That's, that's why things get harder and more challenging. Just stand in the grace of God. Meditate upon it. He's not the God of all works and self-effort. 
He's the God of all grace. Remember in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says Jesus came full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. So the atmosphere for our spiritual growth is always the grace of God. You can't have too much grace flowing in a church, in a home, in a marriage, with your kids, in your friendships. Listen, Bible teachers, parents, those that are influential and others, mentors, disciplers, teach the word of God with an emphasis upon the grace of God. Teach it in such a way where people fall in love with what God has done, not, not what God has done for you, not what you must do for God. And be reminded of his goodness. The gospel is the good news of God's grace. But some say, wait a minute, Ed. If you teach grace that way and you emphasize grace, won't the people just run wild? Don't you have to give them rules and lists and tell them exactly what they're supposed to do and then make sure that when they don't do it, you get them back on track? No, that's not the grace of God. That's man-made religion along the way. You, might even, you don't even need a church to do that to you. You might be more comfortable with a list of rules and regulations. But you know what would happen if I gave you? Let's just say today, hey, we're changing the whole philosophy of our ministry. We are no longer a grace. We are a grace and list ministry. And we have lists printed out for you ready. We'll send it on on the app. And But everybody here, we have a special for you. It's a free list of 10 things you need to do to be right with the Lord. Some of you will just water it up before you leave, put it in the back of the chair and go, honey, time to find another church. But you know, a lot of you will really pay attention because you trust me, you will really pay attention to that list and you will follow it to the best of your ability. And you will create in your mind, it's like, I think I can do this. I think I can do this. You might even rearrange it, take it home. Some of you will get out your Excel spreadsheets. You'll rearrange it. You'll put the easier ones on top and the harder ones on the bottom. And you'll just start working the list and working the list. Day one, you get, I don't know, let's say you get five. Your whole goal is just, I just want to do five. So you get the five easiest ones. Boom. Day one, you hit all five. Well, what about the other five? Don't worry about it. I'm going to use the list the way I want to use the list. And then you, then day six, you add one. Day seven, you add, you're, you're working the list until you fail on one of the points. And you know what happens when you fail? Well, a lot of things will happen. But one of the things will happen is you will feel like a failure. Not because the Lord told you we're a failure. Not because the Holy Spirit's speaking to you a failure. You will feel like a failure because you didn't follow the list. And the man made the list anyway. It wasn't a list that came from the Lord. It wasn't the list that said, this is how I want you to live your life. Set the Bible aside and just live the list. No, that's not God's heart. God God says this, abide in me and I'll abide in you. And my word will abide in you. And, and you can live your life trusting that the Lord is speaking to you. I mean, unless it's outright sin, you can do what you believe the Lord wants you to do. Obviously, outright sin, God's not going to be telling you to do that. But he will be leading and guiding you. you just to things like, man, I, maybe I'll reach out to my neighbor. Maybe I'll start a Bible study in my home. Maybe I'll pray for my boss. Maybe, I, who knows what, but the Holy Spirit will be leading you and you can trust him. It's not a list that the atmosphere of your growth isn't developing more and more lists. It's the grace of God. Let let me show you. You've got to see this before we head out. Turn over to Titus. Titus chapter 2. I'm not concerned with you deciding, well, it's the grace of God. I can just sin as much as I want. That is not the grace of God. That's you twisting the word of God. 
it, the grace of God doesn't say, go ahead and do whatever you want, including sin. That's actually the exact opposite of what a true understanding of the grace of God will show you. And, and this is something that's super important because there will be those that love to hang a trip of legalism over you, want to tell you what to do and how to do it. And yet here's what grace teaches. I love this in verse 11, Titus chapter 2. This is so beautiful and so encouraging. He says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us. So here's what grace, when you understand the grace of God, this is what it teaches you. You ready? That denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then here's the substance of grace, right? Here's the substance. Who gave himself for us? Let me ask you, did you deserve for Jesus to give himself for you? He gave you himself for you for the exact opposite reason, because you needed him to. Not because you didn't need him to, but because you were hopelessly lost in your trespasses and sins. So here he is. This is the explanation of grace who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. So the grace of God teaches us to make decisions that would put us on the pathway of trusting and obeying Jesus. But do you notice the grace of God reminds us that he's working in you, purifying you, changing you, leading you, that you might become his own special people, like that you would be reserved for him. We learn in our study in husbands that are, husbands are to wash their wives with the water of the word. Why? Because that we might, like Jesus is doing that with the church, so he might present to himself a purified bride. That's the grace of God. The grace of God works in us as we are living for the soon return of Jesus. It works in us the purity and the necessary changes that will please God. And I've noticed that when people really understand grace, they really begin to grow and flourish. It doesn't become a list problem or a works problem or beating themselves up all the time. And the answer to everything is do more, do more, do more. The answer is actually do nothing. Just do nothing and stand in the grace of God. Just stop. Just stop all the activity. Stop all the fevers. Yeah, but Ed, it's, you don't understand. It's just, I'm so, okay, let's just stop and get back to basics. Right the moment when you were saved, the moment when you were born again, the moment when you realize God's great forgiveness for you, you had nothing. There was nothing. There was nothing you had to offer. You came up humble and broken before him. And God says, okay, remember from where you have fallen repent and repeat the first works. What were the first works? Surrender, acceptance of a gift, appreciation for the goodness of God that everyone had written you off, including yourself, but not God. And we repeat those things and God begins to grow us in our understanding and nourishment from the Lord. Spiritual growth doesn't happen in the rocky soil of the law, but in the fertile, lush, nutritious soil of the Spirit. So now come back, these final words. You would think he was ended in verse 11, right? In chapter 5, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Okay, thanks, Peter. But he keeps going, verse 12. By Silvanus, 
Now, next to Silvanus, you might want to write Silas. Many people believe this was Silas. This is the same brother that traveled with Paul when he had that disagreement with Barnabas and headed over to Asia Minor. He was a friend and co-laborer of Peter, actually wrote down this epistle for us, so we can thank him for that. He says, by Silvanus, our faithful brother as I consider him, I've written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. You know, Silvanus encourages me because he represents that guy, that gal, that is content to serve in the background. Just to do what he's been asked to do, to, to serve the Lord with his gifts, you know, there are those that think that the most rewarding place in the church is to serve in a place of prominence where everybody knows you. But in reality, a great place to serve in the church is when you serve the Lord faithfully and nobody has a clue who you are. And you can just keep your eyes on the Lord and you can serve in the background and, and you can be like the Bible describes that under rower where, where you are there just faithfully unseen, unknown, just paddling. The ship is moving forward. The boat is moving forward. And there you are just rowing underground. Nobody knows who you are, but you're faithful. And Sylvanus, I don't even know that he expected. I wonder how hard it was for him to write down, by Sylvanus. I don't even want Peter. No, I don't want them to know what I'm doing. I'm just that faithful brother. It was enough for him just to be a pen in the hands of God. Notice, he says in verse 13 now, she who is in Babylon elect together with you, greets you. So does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus, the second. Amen. He, he mentions the church in Babylon, which was another name for Rome, just describing how debauched it was, how sin-filled it was compared to Babylon. And then he mentions Mark here. That's encouraging and intriguing. Because Mark as well was involved in that separation between Paul and Barnabas. So Mark and Silas are both connected to Paul. And we'll learn if you read ahead in 2 Peter, you'll learn that even Peter, having been rebuked by Paul earlier on in his walk, had also brought back in reconciliation with him. And that all these guys, you know, you, you get to the guy, you get guys together, you get church together, there's always tension, there's always disagreement. But you know, in the end, we're wise to humble ourselves and go, you know what, there's disagreement, but we're all serving the same Lord. You do what God's called you to do, I'll do what God's called me to do, and then we together, even if we go our separate ways, will be used by God to do great things. So all these guys, when we study through, if you're not even unfamiliar with what I'm sharing with the difficulty between Paul and Barnabas, is that they end up separating. And instead of one missionary journey, now God has separated them. Now we're going to have two missionary journeys. We'll get to that when we study through the book of Acts. Just know this now, that even through great difficulty and division, God can still win. And here they are now, mentioning at the end, Silas is mentioned, Mark is mentioned, Division's always sad. Separation's always difficult, but God will get the glory. And Peter at the end here, he gives us a precious letter that encourages us to hope in the Lord no matter how trying the times might be. And throughout the years, the church has experienced very difficult, fiery trials. And yet the church is still here. Satan hasn't had his way. The gates of hell have not prevailed against the church. So as you see a new wave of difficulty in our own country, you see new difficulties that come against us, it is a time 
to open up and be flexible before the Lord of how he might use us in fresh ways. What is it that he is trying to pull out of? What is he wanting us to show us? I know there's this, this sense of, but pastor, pastor, we want it some sense of normalcy. We want to get back to normal. Well, perhaps the Lord will allow you to get back to some sense of normal. But that's not what he's desiring from us. He's desiring us from to go to glory to glory and strength to strength. He wants us to do a new work. He wants us to be flexible. And even as Peter's going, look, whatever's happening to you guys, look, you can't go back. But you can't stand in the grace of God. We can't undo the trials. Matter of fact, remember, he's already writing to a group that are going through fiery trials. And what does he tell the group in the midst of a trial? Hey, don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial that's about to try you. You think it's bad now. There's a worse one coming. But don't think it's strange. It's not strange. It's not strange that the world hates the church. It's not strange that a culture would want to suppress the voice of Jesus. It's not strange that people will hate you because they hated Jesus first. It's not strange that they would want to take Bibles away and they would want to have us on the run and freaking out and losing our mission. Our mission. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And so what's happening? The lost are becoming more difficult. Sin is destroying. I mean, you're seeing it with your own eyes. But I wonder how many of you were right on the edge of destruction yourself. Were you so much more prettier? Like, were you so much more unoffensive? Were you so much more acceptable? No. You just look different. You were just a rank, rebellious sinner as some of the things we're seeing today. And yes, we're to be salt and light. Absolutely standing for what is right in a culture that's wrong. But we want to be accused, like the leaders in the book of Acts, like, oh man, those guys have come here. They turn, those people that have turned the world upside down, they've come to our city too. But I find that the world has turned the church upside down. Not only accommodating culturally, adopting even the narratives of the culture, but then not even caring anymore or caring about the wrong things. Look, Jesus hasn't changed his mission. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to save sinners of whom I am chief. And the last time I looked, there are a lot more sinners in the world than there are believers. So we have our work cut out for us. The harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. And may the Lord send us as laborers into the harvest. The church today, you know, I think we're facing a new trial in our country we've never faced before. But we must be prepared because whatever may come, Peter is still saying to each of us, be hopeful. The glory is soon to come. Jesus is on his way. Stay strong. God is at work. He's restoring and supporting and strengthening and perfecting you, laying a firm foundation for your life. Why? So you might be a platform to reach others with the same gospel that reached you. What a great note to end on as we wrap up our study of 1 Peter here on Abounding Grace. Remember, hope in the Lord, no matter how trying the times may be. Pastor Ed Taylor's final message in the series goes by the title of Suffering and Standing in Grace. You can hear it again at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another way to listen to Ed's teachings is through our app and podcast. Search for Ed Taylor to download that today. Each month we pick out a book we think you'll enjoy and that can really serve to help you grow in God's abounding grace. We want to help you develop a spiritual library. And this month, it's Ebenezer Stones by Catherine McDougall. 
It's so easy to get focused on our problems and difficulties, and when we do, our focus is no longer on God. We can so easily forget how God has been faithful to us. The remedy is to get your focus back on God and the ways He has been faithful. In this excellent book, you'll learn how an ordinary stone can be a powerful reminder of God's faithfulness. The Bible calls it an Ebenezer stone, which means stone of the help. Request Ebenezer Stones when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Give us a call at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. You can also order resources like this online at calvaryco.store. That's our online store at calvaryco.store. And if you'd like to help us continue the ministry on this station through a donation, you can do so at AboundingGraceRadio.com. As you do, you'll be helping people all across the country study and learn of God's abounding grace. Again, that's AboundingGraceRadio.com or call 877-30-GRACE. Well, tomorrow we're going to launch Ed Taylor's new study in 2 Peter. He'll encourage us to look to Jesus in these difficult days. That all starts Thursday on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.